Welcome to the Spreading Success Podcast, bringing you the best habits, routines, and strategies from the most elite entrepreneurs in the game to help you find your path to success. Now, let's get right into the show. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Spreading Success Podcast. My name is Ram Raviv, and I'm your host. Today, I'm joined by my good buddy, Robbie Avala. Robbie, how are you doing today, man? I am doing absolutely fantastic today, Ron. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Before I get started, I just want to say that I've been to a lot of networking events and where uh, speakers give their presentations. And your, your speech and your presentation, I think, was by far the most value-packed thing. And it was something that truly just, like, shocked me. I was literally extremely surprised by just the things that you say that we'll obviously dive into it, but just seeing that it's all possible and that you're doing it definitely really hit me hard. And that's why I had to get you on this podcast, kind of drop some value for the people that were not at that event. Dude, that's, dude, that literally just made me smile, man. I appreciate <laughs> that. You, you like that so much. That was, uh, that was probably one of the favorite events I've spoken at so far and what a great like group, like audience, like yeah, super engaged. Um, so I had an incredible time doing it and, like, as you can see with me speaking, I have super high energy levels too. So yeah. I like when people react to that. So I'm sure you'll see all the listeners will see some of that on this call right now. But um, truly, truly blessed for you to say that, my man. And I'm grateful for you to have me on this podcast very much so. 100%. So let's quickly start out by for the listeners that are not familiar with you. Can you just kind of give them a little intro about what you're doing and what you're up to? Yeah, my man, I'd be happy to. So essentially, um, what I do is I run a, uh, I have a few different online businesses, but I run a seven figure, uh, we do about 162K a month online advertising agency, uh, specializing in real estate agents and loan officers. Uh, we do lead generation for them, appointment settings, so we're getting them qualified buyers and sellers. Uh, and then I also run a virtual assistant staffing agency, which is essentially how I grew my agency to the level that it's at now that allows me, I just booked a flight to Barcelona like an hour ago, so it allows me to essentially travel the world full time and still have my agency working for me. Um, uh, producing those kind of numbers growing month over month um and just it allows me to like a four-hour work week i essentially live that life to be honest mm -hmm. with you yeah man it's crazy i've seen even through the presentation that you're able to just split your work and divide and we'll get into that a little bit later and it's just really amazing how you're able to kind of piece everything together and, and really maximize your time and other people's time uh but i want to quickly transition into kind of how you got started your early life so Kind of take us back to your middle school, high school days. How were your grades? Were you always interested in entrepreneurship? Just kind of take that back for us. Yeah, man. Great question. Uh, so, like, as far as grades, I've always been a little bit of a nerd, to be honest with you. And I'm always proud of it, right? Um, like, I was the kid that used to tell, um, call my mom when she was out of town <laughs> and my sister was throwing a house party. Like, mom! <laughs> uh, but, uh, so... When I was in middle school, high school, man, I, my, my dad, mom, both entrepreneurs. My brother owns multiple restaurants. So they're all entrepreneurs, but I was always going to be a lawyer. Like that was my goal head on. Like they were doing the entrepreneur thing that looks risky. And everyone had just told me, you know, be a lawyer. It's safe. It's secure. You make a lot of money. And I'd seen a lot of episodes of Law and Order. And so I was like, yeah, for sure. So middle school, high school and college were literally all geared around the sole purpose of me getting into law school, right? So president, uh, honor society, pre-law, everything. Um, and then luckily my dad's neighbor in Atlanta was is actually a consultant for overseas students to get into the top 10 law schools in the nation. 
So people pay him six figures to essentially get their sons or daughters into Harvard, Yale, whatever it is. And I was able to leverage him in order to tell me how I was supposed to do it as well. And he essentially told me the number one determining factor, one of the largest factors is the LSAT, law school admission test. And so instead of doing what everyone else did, when it was like half-assing a law school admission test the last year, last semester of college uh, and scoring in the average, he was like, you need to take a year off and really focus on studying it eight hours a day. So that's what I plan to do right after I graduated. And as soon as I graduated, I was going to move back home and just literally work uh, at my local job here and uh, study for law school. Three days after I graduated, I get a call from my dad and he's diagnosed with stage three lung cancer. Uh, my dad lives by himself up in Atlanta, Georgia, and I was in Florida. I went to Florida State. And so he doesn't live with anybody or have really anybody in his life to take care of him like that. And so I dropped everything I was doing, packed my car, car up and drove the next day up to Atlanta, Georgia, and lived a year with him where we were doing chemo and radiation five days a week, literally going into the hospital. And I would wake up at 5 a.m., work out, and then from 6 to 8, I would study for law school. Then we'd go to the hospital. Then from literally 9 to 4 or 5, while I'm sitting in the hospital, I'd be studying for law school. Then I'd drive him home. Then I'd study for law school until about 7 or 8 at night. So it was an incredibly disciplined time in my life, but it was also a really difficult time in my life. And um, to keep a very long story long, Essentially, what happened was about a year later, my dad goes into remission. And around that time, I was really realizing that, you know, maybe law school wasn't for me. Maybe I was kind of chasing, I was chasing it for money. And my dad kept on lining up all these meetings with all these lawyers because my dad was the biggest push for it. And he kept on lining up all these meetings for all these lawyers for me to talk to them and ask them about law school. And then I'd ask them about it. And all these lawyers would be like, don't go to law school. Don't be a lawyer. It's not 1980 anymore. The, you, the opportunities are endless. And so after about 15 different lawyers who were partners, right, they're making 300, 400K a year, told me not to go into law school, I seriously started reevaluating it. But I was very, very hesitant because my whole family, my whole life, my identity, everything, every time I went on a date with a girl, it was always like, I'm going to be a high-powered lawyer that goes to work in corporate law, I'm going to go to Harvard, whatever it is. And my whole identity was around it. And I'm sure there's some, some people in your audience here that can kind of relate to something like that, right? And there's a really great saying out there and it goes, just because you spend a lot of time making a mistake doesn't mean you should keep on making it. Mm -hmm. And so for me at that point, I was so scared to, to pull out of it because I'd invested so much. So I decided to at least take the law school admission test. I took it. I scored in the top 10% of the entire nation. So I could have gotten my choose of at least the three to 10 top law schools in the nation. Um, but after I took it, I remember like that day I read a book. It's called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. I don't know if you've mm -hmm. ever read it before. Yeah, yeah it's a fantastic book. And if the audience, um, if you guys haven't read it, I highly recommend it. And I just realized like, why am I so afraid of this? It's because I'm so afraid of what my dad thinks, my mom thinks, my aunt thinks, what my friends think. Like, I'm so afraid everyone else thinks and I just know it's not the right thing for me. So I still remember this day, like just walking downstairs and telling my dad, like, I'm not going to law school. And it caused definitely some tension between him and I. Uh, and then it was even more tension when I got a job in an Italian restaurant making $2,000 a month, right? I was supposed to be going to like, you know, University of Chicago Law School, coming out making 170K a year, and now I'm making 20 grand a year uh, working as a waiter. So real humbling experience. I essentially found Ty Lopez, found SMMA course, and like just put my money in that. And then uh, the rest is kind of history from that point. Yeah, man, that's actually crazy because I feel like for me, around 70% of people that get on this podcast have 
gone through something with Ty Lopez. Either they've seen his ads or they bought his course. I'm like, wow, this guy's really like creating. I had dinner generation. with him not too long ago. I had dinner with him not too long ago in Las Vegas. Right before I spoke at your event, I actually ran into him. And I'm on, I'm on one of his ads now. <laughs> That's <laughs> man. He's really changing the world. But, man, yeah, he's doing, he's doing a lot. He's got his own kind of thing there. And I'm definitely someone that looks up to him as well because SMA, the whole new with, with the do, new digital agency thing being very, very popular, that's something that I want to get into for myself and my own personal business. But I kind of want to talk about the prospect social kind of business model itself because for you, the, your main thing is called clients on demand, right? And when I first hear that, I'm like, that sounds like impossible. Like, how do you get clients on demand? Like, I know in the real estate industry alone, it's very hard to, to land meeting this client and you're promising people clients on demand. So kind of talk about how you got into that and how you created that system. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool, man. And I'll even just caveat real quick. It's actually now called commissions on demand. Oh. Uh, so I got, I was recently, it was clients on demand for the longest time. And that was cause I was kind of a nobody running this like fly by night agency. And then when we got featured on Fox news, I got a letter a cease and assist letter uh, that I can't say clients on demand because there's already someone that has a trademark for clients <laughs> on demand. So we've trademarked commissions on demand. So that's what it's called now. But that's what, that's what happens, guys, when you start getting bigger. But um, anyway, yeah, so uh, took title of business course, like started lead generation, ha was uh, doing every industry like everybody else out here. Hadn't really niched down. Luckily, found a mentor and he was like, look, if you really want to scale, you need to niche down not only your, your industry that you're working with, but the offer that you're doing. And so I essentially chose real estate because I already had a bunch of real estate clients. And then I chose one package within the real estate. Um, and we were just sending leads to them like everybody else does. And like, it was hard. It was real tough. We we're having like people were leaving all the time they were asking for money back. And so what I realized was that the reason why everyone hates real estate and doing real estate lead generation is because they can't crack it. And what I realized once I started looking at the statistics is it's not necessarily the quality of the leads that people were sending them. It's the fact that a real estate agent can't call and follow up a lead enough times that they need to when it comes to online leads uh, in order to convert that into an appointment or convert that into a close. Because 80% of realtors get their business from referrals, which is like, you know, that's an easy win. Anybody can take a lob up on one of those. Online lead generation is completely different. And so what I realized is that if I can fix this problem, I can be rewarded handsomely, right? If I can figure out how to do it. And so we essentially connected what's called an inner service agency in the back end of our agency where not only do we generate the leads using Facebook, YouTube, and Google, but before we even give it to the real estate agent, we have like, we, we scrub them essentially. We have a qualification team in California and they figure out, you know, are they a buyer or seller, their price point, time frame, all of that stuff to figure out if it's even worth that agent's time to speak with them. And then once they qualify the right people, they'll then live transfer that lead once they've been qualified and they know they're interested to my client. So my client's literally picking up the phone to someone that's a buyer or seller ready to go right then and there. And that was really where we saw a huge shift in our business was when we stopped promising leads, but started promising appointments. Uh, we were starting to do things that nobody else, we even beat, now Zillow does it and Redfin does it, and Op City does it, but we beat all of them to the punch, uh, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know that they were doing it beforehand, and so we were some of the first people to really start connecting that together, and uh, that's really led to the growth that we have right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and obviously through that that scrubbing process, that was really the, the key differentiator. I know you talked about this on an interview. That was really what, what changed you and separated yourself from Zillow and those other websites, and just going through that, it 
that's like the, the thing that, that you really took advantage of. You, you're not like bigger than all these Zillow companies, but what you did is you found the tiny little thing that, that they're not doing or that they haven't implemented yet. And then you took that and now obviously they're kind of copying your strategy. Um, but I want to kind of talk about how the, the whole company as a whole started forming. And that was through something you talked about at the Hamptons Mastermind, which is systems and processes. And that right there was literally like, I've never been more shook in my life when I listened to something because I didn't think it was possible and to the level that, that you're doing it at. So what, can, can you kind of talk about what a systems of process is and what it even means before we dive a little bit more into it? Yeah, man, uh, absolutely. And you know that those, that's really my favorite thing to talk about. I get super passionate when I do. So sorry if I started speaking excitedly here, but um, <laughs> essentially what was happening was right when I started I got an agency mentor and I realized I needed a niche down and I realized I needed a niche down my offer. And what I, what I started was thinking in my head was like, damn, I was, there's so much stuff to do in a business. And you know, I'm doing marketing, I'm doing lead generation, I'm doing accounting, I'm doing client management, I'm doing fulfillment. It's like, a, you know, you don't have enough time in the day. And the reason why most businesses, I've read all the books, right? The E-Myth, like four hour work week. The reason why most businesses fail is because they try to do it all themselves. But I also wasn't making a lot of money back then as well. So I needed to find cheap labor. But before I had to find cheap labor, I knew that I needed to figure out how to scale my business correctly. Because I wasn't, if you just like hire an employee, I don't care if they just graduated from Harvard and you take them into your business and everything's a mess. It doesn't matter where they're from, who they are, they're not going to be able to work with you, right? Mm -hmm. It's not going to be efficient. So I started realizing like, you know, and a lot of the really great people talk about it, like Tim Ferriss, uh, Sam Ovens, and it's like, you know, you really need to, it's called a minimum viable service, a minimum viable course or a minimum viable product, right? So what is the bare minimum delivery I can do for my client that gets them the results that they want um, and doesn't require too much effort on my end? And so we were like testing a bunch of different stuff out. And so essentially we started, instead of offering SEO, Google ads, like uh, content creation, content distribution, email marketing, chatbots, all this stuff in addition. And we really just wanted them for the leads, but we offer all this other stuff as well. Well, that's great if you're like a $800 million company and you have 300 employees. But me by myself, it's like I was spending so much time like I would I, like, right. So you're an agent. I'd be talking to you and you're like, Ron's like, yeah, man, I can use some leads, but I also need a website redesign. And I just wanted the business so bad. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, no worries, man. We'll do website redesign. And then you pay me, let's just say a thousand dollars. And then I go up to uh, someone else. I know that does website redesign. I'm like, Hey, I need you to do this. He's like, okay, that's $500. And so I just cut my stuff in half trying to do it. And I have to do all the communication with him. And so what I realized was that in order to really scale and get to the levels that I, I wanted to be at and the level I'm at right now, I need to just choose one industry, real estate. I need to choose one offer, 100 guaranteed leads or their money back, and we write a check on top of it, uh, and we don't offer anything else. And then I need to write it out in what's called an SOP, Standard Operating Procedure, where I literally say, hey, this is exactly what, what we do. This is what we offer for a client. And so we went from the back-end fulfillment for a client. We went from doing six to eight hours of work when a client signed up to us to less than 15 minutes when a client signs up to us now. Right. And now I have my team do it for me and we're still delivering the great, amazing products. Uh, but now I spend less time on the back end and more time on the front end. And I don't know, Rob, if you remember one of the two most important things I said about business are taking and setting appointments, taking and setting appointments. Right. So I said that about 40 or 50 times during my presentation at the, in the evidence, but I realized that I was spending way too much time in the back end of myself. And so I systemized that as quickly as possible, made it an easy flow. And then I just started focusing on getting in front of as many people as possible and pitching as many people as possible. And that's when we really started scaling.
Mm-hmm. And then if somebody wanted to kind of take what you're doing in these standard processes and put it in their businesses, what is the key to creating those systems that is, is not really, you can't really see it from the outside. What is something that you learned from actually creating these systems for people like virtual employees to kind of tackle on these issues? Yeah. So we, and we have a course now and we give it out with our, our, uh, like a systems course. It's called scaling with systems our, our course. And essentially what we teach people is like, look, you need to, if you, I don't care if it's a Harvard graduate or if it's a virtual assistant for $2 an hour, you need to write out your system so that a two-year-old can understand it. Well, that's exaggeration, but a nine-year-old can understand it in less than two minutes. I was just reading this great book um, by uh, Robert Kiyosaki and it's about real estate investing, not rich dad, poor dad, but it's about investing. And they say, if you ask somebody about something and they can't explain it to you as a nine-year-old can understand it in under two minutes, either they don't understand it or you don't understand it or both, most likely both. Right. And so what I realized was that, okay, I need to start writing these out as dumbed down and as simple as absolutely possible. So first thing you got to decide is like, like I just said ago, this is exactly what we do with our clients. Like, they come to me, they, they're working with doctors, plastic surgeons, dentists, real estate agents, loan officers, and chiropractors. I'm like, look, right now we're going to cut out five of those six. You're only work with one. You don't have to marry that niche, but you got to work with one. And then we decide, okay, what's the product of the offering? What's the minimum work you can do? Let's, I'm talking about like duplicating a campaign over and over and over and over and over again, right? Like, yeah, you can make it super custom. And yeah, that might get you one to two more leads a month. But it's also going to be four or five more hours you got to do for that person. And it's just not worth it, right? The 80-20 rule. So then you have to figure out what's the minimum viable service you can offer. And a lot of people think that minimum viable service is like cheating or like you're not delivering. But the whole point of that definition is that that still delivers the results that your clients are looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, so industry, minimum viable service. And then what you need to figure out is how do I write this down and make it so that anybody can follow this. And so we use an, a website called Asana, A-S-A-N-A. It's like a project management software. Um, it's totally free. That's why we love it. We tell all our clients about it. And it's actually like a checklist where you can say, you know, to be done when somebody submits a proposal. First thing, accept their Facebook business page, admin invite. Second thing, whatever it is. So we write them all step by step, like a nine-year-old can understand. And then I add another layer and I actually screen record it. We use a software called Loom, L-O-O-M. It's totally free as well. And uh, we screen record myself and now my... Uh, project manager, but myself actually going through the Asana and saying, okay, I just got a proposal. Check. Okay. Now I need to go to Facebook business manager. Check. And so not only can they read it here, but they can see me actually video uh, doing it through video right there as well. And so with two layers like that, anybody can do it. And um, that starts removing yourself from your business. And some of my clients, I get the same reaction about three, four weeks into our program. They always say the same thing. Like, man, I never thought my life would be like this, but now all I have to do is wake up in the morning and just all I do is create SOPs. Like we have a saying in my company, it's like you wake up every single day and you figure out how can you fire yourself today? And then you just create an SOP in order to make that happen. And so that's what some of our top clients are doing. They're just like, what else can I remove from my, from my life? I, you know, I don't pay any of my bills anymore. I don't do my payroll. I don't do any of the work inside of my company. I don't set any of my speaking engagements. I don't set any of my appointments. I don't confirm any of my appointments, any of my Airbnbs, flight plans, dinner reservations. My, uh, my mom's birthday was two weeks ago. I had them buy a bike for my mom's birthday too. Yeah. All of that is outsourced. And so now I get to just focus on the things that I love to do, building my brand from a high level, like doing in- in- interviews with incredible people like you and your podcast as well, speaking, mm-hmm. actually speaking at events, stuff like that, which a lot of people don't have that luxury to do because they're so busy in the trenches. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's definitely something that, that I've taken advantage of since your presentation. I actually figured it out and I, I got a virtual assistant to edit all my podcast, create content, things like that. So I could focus on, for me, I want to focus on creating a tangible business. Right now I'm doing this to create networks and things like that. But I was like, man, it's taking me three hours to edit it, put it on YouTube, put it on iTunes, Insta, you know, I was like, how do I do that? So I, I found someone I do that. But for the people that don't have that, how can someone like, I know you said you screen for leads and you have this whole screening process where you kind of see who's qualified or not, but do you have a similar process for screening potential team members and virtual assistants or is there like just like kind of guess and check? Yeah, no, for us, like, so in our company, what we do personally, and you can either make this yourself or reach out to another virtual assistant staffing company, but essentially we always, we start with a high quality virtual assistant. What does that mean? That means like we're not in an Upwork and we're on a Facebook because everyone else is using those people. We actually go, I have a recruiter on the ground in the Philippines and we actually go find people that are working at AT&T, they're working at American Express, they're working at Amazon, companies that are multinational, hundreds of millions of dollars net value worth uh, companies because they spend thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours training each of these virtual assistants, right? Um, every single time we have a placement with an assistant and we do the interview with a client, the assistant and me, Every single time the client goes, holy shit, I thought that they were, they were from Atlanta. You know, like they, they sound so, I don't want to say American, but they, they speak fluent English and they're literally, they take accent learning classes where they get rid of their accent. And so you can barely even tell. And uh, the truth of the matter is that we find people that already are really, really high up there. It's like already finding someone that's working at one of these huge companies in the U.S., we poach them because they want the same thing, right? They don't want to drive in traffic every single day. They don't want to spend time with their kids. They want to work from home. So we essentially poach them, offer the same or a little bit of higher pay rate. Uh, and then my recruiter interviews them. We give them tests. And this is something that you guys can do as well. Like we give them a literacy test. We give them an English comprehension test. We have them shoot a video where they're reading a script to us as well. And then we actually give them like an SOP test where we have an SOP that we want them to do. And we see who executes it the best without reaching out to my team about it. Um, and because those are the people that you want that aren't going to ask a million questions, but use Google instead. And so we find high quality people. My recruiter filters out a bunch. Then my team interviews them. Uh, the, my, my team of virtual assistants that have built all of my businesses with me, multiple seven figure businesses, they train them and vet them and qualify them and kind of screen through the people that we don't think that's good for, our, uh, that wouldn't work for our company. Then they're not going to work for our clients. Mm -hmm. And then finally I do a one-on-one -on -one interview with the VA and myself. And I make sure like, hey, does this person speak great English? Do they communicate effectively? Are they respectful? Whatever it is. And then finally, my client will get on there. So, uh, and they'll say yes or no. And then when they say yes, then my VA team goes with them. The VA, we actually have a VA course for the VAs. And then they do a workshop with my, my team in order to learn how to read SOPs, how to communicate all the softwares. And then I work one-on-one -on -one with our client. But so that's a lot to do if you're just like one person looking for a VA. But what I always tell people, the biggest takeaways from that is number one, Try to find somebody that's already coming from a quality place, like, you know, somebody that's already working for somewhere big. Number two is to test them. Like, you're going to, because you just post on Facebook, I'm looking for a VA, you're going to get 100 applications. What I used to do was, like, have a whole Zapier automation set up where it was, like, they send us a message, but if it didn't have the right subject line, they didn't get the next email back, which was automated, and then they have to say a certain answer in their jot form questionnaire that was, like, write your age is 42 whenever I ask for the age just like you did back in kindergarten or elementary school to see how well you follow instructions. And then if they didn't put 42, they didn't get to go on to the next stage. If they did, they got to go on to the next stage. So we literally filter out. We start 
for the hundred people. I do it with every single one of our hires, VAs, account managers, and uh, salespeople. I start with like a hundred people. And by the time I'm doing the one-on-one interview, there may be just three to four people left. And at that point, I know that they're responsible. They can understand instructions. They really want it because it's kind of a little bit of a pain in the ass. And then I'm not wasting anybody's time at that point. Mm-hmm. And for someone like me or someone who's just getting started in the entrepreneurship space, what would be your best advice? Because obviously they can't go to the Philippines, screen people. So what's your advice for someone who's not on a crazy budget, but someone like me who found a virtual assistant that could do the basic work for cheap? What, what's your suggestion for that? Yeah. So like you can go um, a few things is like, first of all, as I get this question all the time. When should I get a VA today? Really? Honestly, like, you know, our VAs we get for about $2 an hour. You can get VAs for $5 an hour. Uh, there's a really great saying, if it makes you money, it doesn't cost you any money. So stop being so afraid to use other people's time. Like you don't, you're not paying them $50,000 a year with healthcare and insurance and HR like you would the US. So stop bitching and get somebody for less. Mm-hmm. And actually, because they will move the needle forward if you're focusing on the right things. So I would say definitely get a VA as soon. If you're even considering it, now's the time to get one. Um, and then what I would do is recommend is kind of what I just said, like post in on your Facebook, post in Facebook groups, post in LinkedIn. Uh, and uh, put on, if you have an email uh, list, post on your email list and say, Hey, this is what we're looking for. Someone to be able to do these things. I want people that have experience in this kind of stuff as well. Uh, and if they do send an email to this email, and then you can do a whole lot of little automations with Zapier where it's like, you know, like for us, we used to post in groups and say, Hey, if you're interested, send an email to this email and have the subject line be Ravi, I'm ready to work. And then some people would say, Ravi, let's go or Ravi, I want to work, whatever it is. And they wouldn't make the next step. So like we would screen the people because, you know, I don't want to waste anybody's time. Uh, so that's what I recommend is like trying to fill, figure out some kind of process because it's not that hard to find a virtual assistant, to be honest with you. It's really not. Finding a highly qualified and trained one, that's where it gets a little bit tricky. And so give them a, a test. The last few people, let's say you're doing podcasts, right? Uh, and you want to do podcast editing. I would give them this interview right here and I would say, hey, I want you to create a thumbnail I want you to create a, a pull out a 10 second bit. I can put on my Instagram for a swipe up and I want you to edit it down to get rid of all of Ruby's uhs and what's and whatever else he's messing up today and then give it all to them and just see who does the best quality work. And then from that, I would choose that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely important. And something that people think, Oh, only when you're starting to make so much money is when you need a VA VAs can do basic work as well as very intense work. And that's something that I actually want to get into because I know you mentioned in your, in your speech at Netcon that you have a few virtual assistants doing Facebook ads for you. So how do you find virtual assistants to like mid to high level work? I know you're even trying to train someone on sales. (laughs) Yeah. So essentially like what we've realized, I'm always, like I said, at the event, we are always literally pushing the boundaries. And so like, you know, what people say is possible with the VA. Like people said I couldn't do, they couldn't be client managers. Like people said that they couldn't uh, book reservations in different languages. Like they just keep on saying because I travel all over the world. And I'm just like, watch me. And uh, so essentially it all starts. It's actually people are like, oh, VAs couldn't do it. But the truth of the matter is it goes back to what I said a few moments ago, which was like, look, if you can't explain it to them, then they can't do it. So if they're not doing it well, a lot of people, and this is for any employees that you have, and I just have a different mindset, and you decide which one's a better one, but a lot of people, they, when something goes wrong in their company, they'll blame their employees, but there's a lot of the times, I'll say nine out of 10 times, they had poor direction or poor communication between the boss, the employer, and the employee, and so the exact same thing happens with virtual assistants. Like You just expect them to know how to do something, when in reality, you might not even know how to do it, 
or you didn't give them uh, clear enough instructions. And so for us, like with Facebook ads, like the example you gave, like, you know, we spent over $1.4 million on Facebook ads in the past 14 months. Like I know Facebook ads inside and out really well, not as well as a lot of other people, but I still know it pretty well. And so I just literally created an SOP that was like a step-by-step because everyone thinks that, oh, Ravi, it can't be systemized. I can't create an SOP. It's too confusing. Like one of two things is happening there. Number one, uh, either it is actually way too confusing and you shouldn't be doing it because that's, you're never going to be able to scale it. Or number two, you don't actually realize that everything in life that you do is follows a system. Like you, you don't even subconsciously, how you wake up in the morning, you brush your teeth, you, you know, call your family, uh, when you listen to Rom's podcast, whatever it is, like that's part of a system that you do every day. And so for me, I just, for five days in a row, a row I screen recorded how I created campaigns and I, I screen recorded how I adjusted campaigns. And then I rewatched them and I just typed out how I was doing it. And then I created like, Hey, if it's above this dollar amount, the leads we're getting are above this, then you need to change this. If it's, you know, if we're, we still have 10 days left and we need to deliver some more leads, this is how you increase the budget, blah, blah, blah. So, and we've even given them courses. Like I've bought courses before and given them to my VAs because I want them to learn a specific skill or something like that. And they learn how to do it. So a lot of times like the high, mid to high level work that people are so afraid to do, if you can explain it to a nine year old in less than two minutes, you can create a good enough SOP. I guarantee you they'll learn how to do it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's hard kind of explaining and it takes a long time to create that, that system and process because it's like, you have to, like you said, explain something as kind of complex as Facebook ads to a nine year old. So it's kind of like the whole challenge is breaking it down. Like you could do it yourself, but you have to like, kind of think about it as in an outside perspective and kind of show someone how to, that's just the whole, that's the whole complicated I really, I part. I gave it to my sister and I was like, Hey, can you figure out how to do this? And, I, she, and she has no idea how to do any Facebook ads. And, and she's like, yeah, I can figure this out. And so she set it up. Like I actually like tested it before I even sent it to my team. Wow. So um, like, yeah, it is confusing guys. And what I just told you, like screen recording yourself, does that take a little bit of time? A hundred percent, but it's called leverage, right? So I'm spending a few hours up front systemizing my Facebook ads. So now I haven't been in Facebook ads manager in six months and I'm the happiest because I don't know if anybody here has ever run Facebook ads, but it's the biggest <laughs> big world. And like, I just told myself, I don't want to be in Facebook ads anymore. Mm-hmm. And so that's exactly what I did. So that's just how you guys need to think like, yeah, it's a little bit of an investment of either money or time up front. But you guys don't realize, like, you never have to worry about that again on your emotional health, your physical health, like, in order to make more money. So, so worth it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And obviously, like you said, you really are pushing the boundaries in terms of what virtual assistants can do. So not only in your business, but in in general business entrepreneurship, where do you think the future of virtual assistants is going to go in the next five or 10 years? Yeah, that's a, wow. I've never had that question before. That was a great question. Um, And great interview, by the way, brother. I love our flow on here. I just want to say, yeah, you're doing a fantastic job. Um, I wanted to say that in the next five to 10 years, so a guaranteed next 24 months, we will hit a recession. There will be a correction in the market, 100%, most likely a full-blown recession. Um, I see that happening. Where I was just at Thrive, an event in Las Vegas, and uh, Cole Hatter, who I really look up to, um, he he calls himself the recession-proof CEO. And so what you guys need to start thinking is like, is my business recession-proof? Right. So meaning like he said right there, like thrive events, that's not recession proof. No one's going to spend $2,000 to fly out to Las Vegas to go to an event to meet people if they can't make next month's rent. Right. And most people that are listening to this, you probably have never lived through a recession. I have not lived through a recession myself either in the terms of I had businesses and I had assets Mm -hmm. like there was an issue then. Um, And so I'm not trying to say be a hypocrite here, but I'm saying that most people 
that are listening to this or that's our age have never lived through a recession. Mm-hmm. And so you don't really understand the impact that I can have on the global economy. Um, and so like, like podcasts, I, everyone is an Instagram influencer. Everyone's a podcast person right now, mm-hmm. three years, watch how many people are left standing. You know what I mean? And yeah. although some people get scared of it, it's just like the real estate thing for me. Well, Ron, you could be the guy that like you bury yourself in now and build your revenue streams now so that when all the other fake people wash away, you're still yeah. standing up top, which is mm-hmm. going to make you just like the fucking king. Mm-hmm. Um, so when the recession hits, I think that there's going to be a huge need for virtual assistance um, because we're just like cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, everything's becoming more of a globalized economy. And so it's not like what it was in the 1980s where a virtual assistant was like this person in India that was like stealing your information, whatever it is. It's like you can see everything. We, we record all of, every two minutes we take a screenshot of our virtual assistants monitor so we know exactly what they're looking at what apps they're on we limit their access to stuff um and so it's becoming easier and easier safer and safer and cheaper and cheaper in order to use overseas labor so you know unfortunately for those uh, you know unskilled americans or professionals that you know don't think that this is coming i will see in the next five years virtual assistants and foreign virtual work start taking over every industry in uh, the United States or in the world. And so when Cole Hatter had said to me, when he said that event, is your business a recession proof business and real estate lead generation? I don't know if that's a recession proof business. You know what I mean? Like I'd like to say it is because they're going to need leads more than ever, but we're not necessarily the cheapest service in the world. And so I don't know if they're going to be investing in that. And so that was really what really made me start thinking. And that's when I really started getting this virtual assistant agency off the ground. Cause I was like, you know what people are going to need more and more of when the recession, when, when the economy hits a shitter, cheap, skilled labor. And that's why we're setting ourselves up for it now. So next three to five years, I see a huge increase in virtual assistants and what they're going to be doing. Um, and so I would recommend jumping on the wagon now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And through all those virtual assistants, this is just a personal random question that just popped into my head. So I know you talk about using like systems and processes for things like, your business and you said sometimes even your personal life but do you have like mental systems and processes that you use in your personal life whether that be like communicating with friends or family is that how like your brain operates or is that strictly for like kind of like a business sense no i mean like people you know what you will realize you probably know but people that listen to this you said sometimes your audience is like people that are just getting into entrepreneurship like mm-hmm. what you'll realize nine to five like sometimes i wish i worked a nine to five like you know at five o'clock i hit my punch card and I'm done for the day and the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I can go out and do whatever the hell I want to do and I don't have to think about work. But when you seriously start getting into business and when you seriously start scaling businesses to the seven figure, eight figure marks, like there is no difference between the business and the personal life. There is no difference in how you think and how you act. It all blends together. Um, and you know, someone, I forgot who said it, but someone says that there's no such thing as business problems, only personal problems that show up in your business. And so for me, yes, 100% how I analyze things. I've even seen like, so we have a one call close script and it really like I've studied an incredible amount on sales, like more than a lot of people that I know on sales. And so like what I'll realize, like when I'm out of the bar, when I'm speaking to somebody or you and I are having a conversation right now, I will essentially take you through this sales script subconsciously. I'll figure out like where your problems are, why you are where you currently are. I'll get you to admit that you don't know how to get to the next step, like all subconsciously. And by the end of it, you're like, Hey, look, you know, after this interview, you're like, Hey, Ravi, let's step on a call next week. I want to talk to you more about the VA thing. Right. Because it's just how I've set myself up. And so, yeah, a hundred percent, like there are things in my personal life mentally that I do like my morning routines, my rituals, like whatever it is 
that is systems and processes. And I could not be happier because of it. I could not. And other times I just like, sometimes it gets a little too much. And like, like today, I was very last minute. I was like, let me just book a trip to Barcelona. So like, I don't want to be too systemized. So I'll just do random stuff every once in a while. But, um, you know, systems and discipline go hand in hand. And so those are mm -hmm. my two favorite things. Mm -hmm. And yeah, kind of just like to wrap it up. I know you just briefly spoke about morning routines and things like that. Is there any kind of specific content that you're consuming that you think kind of helps you with, with your business or in life or things like that? Is there any specific person that's really been guiding you? Yeah, man. So uh, I'll give a shout out to Brody Kern and Brian Donovan and the yep. Wake Up Wealthy. I yeah, know, they're, Oh, yeah, yeah. I just joined the Total Mastery training group for them. They're amazing people. Congratulations. Yeah, dude, they are incredible people. And I joined their group uh, actually at another event I was speaking at a few months ago. I met them and uh, we instantly connected. And like one of the things that they were doing and their whole group was doing that I was never doing was meditation. Um, and like I was doing every, all the other morning routines, waking up at 5 a.m., working out, drinking water, like writing in my journal, reading, whatever it is. But the one key thing I was missing was just taking 10 minutes every single day to quiet my mind and like just not have everything racing. Because like yeah. I said before, there is nine to five. Like, yeah, you cannot worry about work until you get we'll clock in at nine o'clock in the morning. But when I wake up in the morning, I'm already thinking like, okay, I got to take care of this. I got to take care of that. Whatever it is, it's Monday morning. And so like this morning, I woke up a little stressed today just to be transparent with you guys mm -hmm. um, because it's just, I honestly took off the past five days because it was 4th of July, it was my sister's birthday. My, my business was still running, but I haven't checked my email in five days. And so I was just like kind of stressing out a little bit. And uh, that's why when you texted me, uh, you said, I said, where's the link to this call? You said, it's in your email. I said, hey, will you drop it here? <laughs> I haven't opened my email yet. So I didn't want to open that and just open that Pandora's box. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, well, I, I just literally lost track of what I was talking about. What were we talking? Oh, right. Meditation. Mm -hmm. Essentially, they were talking about meditation and they were saying, hey, everyone here has been doing it for like 45, 55 days, how it's been changing their life. I said, fuck it. So I downloaded the Headspace app. Mm -hmm. And like for me, every single person I talk to that's serious about personal development, I, if I had been doing this since I started like two years ago, I can't even imagine where I would be at mentally <laughs> right now. And so like I just can't, like, that would be my number one recommendation. Like number one mm -hmm. is to not, let the outside world influence you until you're ready for it. So like, I don't, I don't know if you've consumed any of my content, but I don't mm -hmm. touch my phone. I don't look like talk to anybody. I don't open my Facebook, Instagram, nothing until about nine or 10 AM. And I'm up at five. So those first five hours are just me, my thoughts, working out, reading. I do a little bit of motivational um, speeches that I hear as well. So like to leave the outside world on the outside until you're ready for it. And then to meditate. I think that that's like, and mm -hmm. I used to think that meditation was a super hard, like, and I'm Indian, right? I know I don't look it, but like, I, like all the mumbo jumbo, like, you know, um, kind of thing. And I thought <laughs> I would never be able to achieve it. But what I really realized, like in the Headspace app, they kind of walk you through it. Uh, and I realized it was so easy. So, and some days I have shitty meditations and other days I have like breakthrough meditations. Mm -hmm. um, and they, in the middle of the day, I'll be super stressed out and I'll just like do a little five minute session. But I think that meditation could be I just wish more people had done it and I wish I had started sooner to be honest with you. Yeah. And I definitely, I, I joined the, the total mastery training cause I saw a lot of people that I looked up to were in that group and just, it's just, they force you to like achieve your goals and it's kind of scary how they do it. And they kind of, yeah, Brody's an intense guy for sure. He's yeah. I really just on a call with him. Him and I are really close. I just on a call him a minute ago. I'm like, dude, you are, he calls, he was like 18 mile runs and he'll call me in the middle. Oh, of the yeah. Like, what are you doing right now, man? Running. <laughs> Um, yeah, definitely. Those guys, definitely. If you haven't checked them out, I will keep you guys in touch. Definitely uh, some people that you definitely should keep in contact and people that you should know. 
Um, but Robbie, that was an amazing, amazing episode. I got tons of value myself. I know the listeners are definitely going to get some value out of this. But kind of like a final thought, where can people find out more about you? Where can people ask questions, anything they have? Just kind of plug your socials for us. Yeah, my man. Uh, and before I do that, I'll just say, like, thank you for having me on here. This is – I don't say this. You can listen to my other podcast interviews. I don't say this a lot, but this is probably one of my favorite podcasts I've been on. So great, hey. great questions on there, seriously. Uh, and I hope this is out to a lot of people. I will definitely plug it when I see it because I had a blast on this. But um, – yeah, you can follow me, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. It's all the exact same thing. Ravi Abubala, R-A-V like Victor. I, my last name is Abubala, A-B-U-V-A-L-A. I'm sure Ram will plug it somewhere on the podcast, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Our website's prospectsocial.com. Uh, if you're a real estate agent, please reach out to me. But yeah, if you guys watch the podcast, listen to the podcast, um, you can even shoot. Uh, you know what we'll do? The same thing I'll do at the Hamptons Mastermind. Uh, you can shoot my executive assistant, meljane at prospectsocial.com uh an email saying that you want to see an example sop and she'll send over to you uh, a loom video of exactly how we set up like our number one lead generation sops and how we set it up inside asana and use loom and google drive and all that stuff so just as a little bonus here i only do it at the events i speak at but since i love this so much because uh, this is what people pay us for it's on our course you guys will get that for free Bam. You guys heard it here first, guys. Stop listening to this podcast and go get that free uh, system made <laughs> for you. Um, but, yeah, guys, thank you for tuning in, and we'll catch you guys on the next episode.